and we are in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Unity in the body of Christ. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's only one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all things, through all, and in all. That's the reading of the word of the Lord. But, but now we're going to come to the word of the Lord. So if you didn't open up your Bibles yet to Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to open to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. And as you, as you turn there, I don't know about you, but I was really grateful for the rain that blessed California uh, in many ways the, the last uh, few weeks, uh, although I'm tired of it being cold. I'm done with that. I know some of you like the cold. I'm ready for the heat to get turned back on around here. Uh, I have family visiting from out of town, and they're like, this is cold. And I'm like, yes, if it's below 75, it's cold. So... The rain, though, revealed some things. Maybe it revealed it at your house. It definitely revealed some things at, at my house and in my property. You know, when the rain started to pour, uh, it exposes stuff. If there's leaks in your roof, the rain starts, starts to come through. Or in my case, when we had built our home uh, and then we came back, we did some work later to deal with some of the drainage. I put in this really big corrugated pipe to move water from one end of the property down to the bottom of the property to, to follow the natural flow of things. And so there's kind of a catch basin in this one place where the water comes off my neighbor's property into mine and then down through mine and, and out to the next uh, property. And so I put this pipe in and uh, it's been working really well, except when it rained, I discovered something. Um, I noticed that the, 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 the basin where things were catching was starting to fill up. Now, it's a big pipe. And I thought to myself, uh, well, that seems to be odd. Maybe there's just so much water, it can't, can't make its way, you know, through the pipe. Because I go to the bottom of the pipe, though, and I look, and there's just a little trickle of water that's coming out the end of this big, you know, 12-inch pipe. And I'm thinking, okay... If the amount of water coming out of the pipe is not equal to the amount of water that's going into the pipe, that means that there's a what? A problem. There's, there's a clog somewhere, right? Because the way that the pipe is designed is that the amount of water that goes in, the input should match the, the output, or I should say the output should match the input. And when I, you don't see that, you know that something's off. Something needs to be corrected. I've been so busy, I don't know what it is yet. I'll let you know when I do, but I'm going to find something in there, I'm sure. All I know is that the amount of water coming out isn't commensurate to the amount of water going in. And when we come to our passage in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's going to be doing something a little bit similar this morning. What he's going to be saying to us is that if you are someone who is in Jesus Christ, if, if all of this has come to you, Everything that he's talked about in, verse, in chapters 1 through 3, and remember, the, the entire book, it, it, it changes here. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul is expounding upon for us all of what Christ has done and God has done for us and all that we have received and all of who we now are. And then he comes to chapter 4 and he's going to say, say if, if this is who you are, if this is what, that, what you have received in this passage, he says, there should be an output. There's something that should match what has gone into you, should match what's coming out of you. And so today, we're going to see exactly what it is that he talks about, and it starts here in verse 1. Read with me, 
as we look here at verse 1 of chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul is starting chapter 4 here with an exhortation that is grounded in everything that he has said up to this point. If you're going to understand this chapter and everything that comes in chapters 4 through 6, you have to understand these verses right here, these words. Let's work from the back, though, to understand what Paul is talking about here. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That little phrase, the calling to which you have been called, is Paul hearkening back for you and for me, to what he has said about us. Do you know to be a Christian is to be a called person? It's not to be called up on the phone by God. It's, it's to be a called out person. It, it's a person who has received something. And what Paul's pointing to is this, is this calling that we have received. And he's talked so clearly in chapters one through three about what this calling is. And so let me just kind of summarize for you just a little bit of what it means to be called by God. To be called by God is to be forgiven, brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. He's made this point. It's to be made spiritually rich, to be made a member of God's family, to be a citizen of God's kingdom, to be made a part of God's holy temple, to have received all the riches that Christ has received. When he says that you and I have received a calling, he's saying God's grace has come down upon you and you have been a people who are forgiven, made holy, spiritually rich, no longer dead, but alive, united to to God. So this is who we are. He says, "So, so therefore I urge you, in light of the fact that you are these people who have received these things, he says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy. Now, what does he mean when he says to walk in a manner worthy? Does he mean like we should have a certain posture when we're walking? No, we know that he's not saying that. To walk equals to, to live life. So he's saying, because you're these kinds of people, you should walk a certain way. That is, you should live a, a life in a certain way. He's not encouraging us to get off the couch and to put a few miles in every day. He's saying, because of who you are, because of what you have received, you should live life a certain way. And then he says this, you should walk in a manner worthy. Now, this is where my illustration of the pipe comes into play. That word worthy is so important because with that one word, he is connecting our life lived to our calling that is who we are because of what we have received. That that word worthy, another way of thinking about it, it was a word that was used to refer to to how somebody would evaluate something on on a scale. And so what he is coming here and he's saying, you know, I said it's like the the output should match the input. The same thing he's saying is like, you're these people have, who have received all of this wonderful, amazing things. Who you are and what you have in Jesus Christ is, is absolutely, it's so weighty, but your life should be in balance with it. It shouldn't be that your behavior and conduct doesn't match what it is that you actually have received. They should be equal. They should be in balance. The output should match the input. The, your scales of your life should be in balance. The exhortation that Paul is ultimately giving in this first verse is very simply this. 
Live in such a way that you display who you are and what you have received in Christ. That's the exhortation. Live in such a way that you display who you are and what you have received in Christ. He wouldn't have gone to all the trouble as he did in verses 1 through 3, or in chapters 1 through 3, if he wasn't building to this. Before he says, here's how you are to live, he wants us to know. He wants us to know everything that we have and what change has come into our lives. But because it has come into our lives, he's saying, live as forgiven people. Live as sons of God and daughters of God because that's who you are. Live as holy people because you're God's temple. Live as those who are spiritually alive. Your your life should match what it is that you have received. Are you following with me right now? And so what he's doing here is laying this foundation. He's, he's giving this exhortation, but it, but it begs the question, okay, well, well, what does that live? What does that look like to be forgiven? What does it mean to live? Think about that. What does it mean to live as a forgiven person? What does it mean to live as a holy person? What does it mean to be as a person loved by God? Like I could tell you, live as someone who's been loved by God. You'd be like, great. What does that look like? What, what does that mean? I think, if, think about that. Think about whether, all right, I'm a holy temple. I'm the place where God, God's spirit dwells. Well, what does it mean to, to, to live as somebody who is actually that thing? Fortunately for us, we don't have to guess at it. Because in these next verses, Paul actually articulates very clearly what it looks to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. But before we look at those things, I want to just make a couple of observations And these are observations. It's not the last time we're going to look at this because we're going to touch on some of these things again. The the first observation is this. These verses that we're about to read, Paul's exhortation here shows us that to be a Christian, to be in Christ, involves intentionality and not passivity. If he is urging us and exhorting us to walk in a manner worthy, that is a calling to us that the Christian life is not just a passive life. The second observation I want to make is this. If Paul has to encourage us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have, if he even has to give the exhortation, doesn't that imply something? It implies the fact that this doesn't come naturally to us, that we need that exhortation. If he has to come and exhort us to walk in a manner worthy, to to live out who we actually are, and then to go on to explain what that looks like, what does that mean? It means it doesn't come naturally for us to know actually how to apply these things to our lives. But here, to me, though, is the most glorious truth of all. When Paul calls us to walk in a manner worthy, to, to display what it is that we have received and who we actually are, do you notice that right here is what differentiates Christianity from every other religion of the world? Do we walk church in a certain way? Do we display certain characteristics and things in order to be worthy of God? What does he say? He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You see, all of the religions say, you do these things, you display these things, you act in this way so that God would count you as worthy. 
Christianity says, no, don't you understand? You've already been called. You've already been redeemed. You've already been forgiven. You've already been made holy. Therefore, we walk in these ways. Isn't that glorious? Like all of the pressure starts to come off. I, I don't walk in the, remember we looked at this, Paul would write to the Galatians, it's, it's in Galatians 2.20, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives what? In me. You see, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the what? The gift of God, we're saved by grace, but grace moves us, it, it infects us in such a way, and that's a good infection, that, that, that our lives are so wholly changed that we bear certain fruit. I don't want to steal his thunder, but I'm going to steal a little bit of it. In two weeks, I'm going to be gone, and so Pastor John's going to preach. He's going to preach on Titus 2. Don't close your ears, Pastor John. All right, here we go. He says in Titus 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Church, what brings salvation? What does that verse say? Grace, grace, grace brings salvation. But is that all that it brings? Is that all that it does? It's appeared. That same grace that saves us is the same grace that trains us to renounce what? Ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright lives in this present age as we await the glorious appearing of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace saves us, but then Paul says grace doesn't leave you as you are. And so when Paul says here, walk in a manner worthy, all he's doing is saying what God's word says. When God saves us, it changes us. We got to get this. You got, we can't move on because everything I'm about to say is going to feel like some kind of weight upon your life it, unless you understand and know that all we are doing here, all this walking worthy is, is just pouring out of you what's already been put into you. And so what is it that comes pouring out of us? Well, the first thing he says is this, I therefore prisoner of the Lord Jesus urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Four things that he lists here of what it looks like to live out who we are. And two more observations. I got lots this morning. Just Right? This list is not exhaustive. It's pretty thorough, but it's not exhaustive. We know that because in Galatians 5, Paul references these things and some others. So, so he's just kind of helping us begin to see and understand. And the other thing I notice is that this isn't a checklist. And in fact, the things that he gives us here, it's not read your Bible, pray, witness to the lost, those kind of things. All of these things are, are things that involve the relational level of our lives and how we engage the world around us. And I love that the very first one that he refers to is humility. The very first way that we live as as a people who have received and had our lives changed is with humility. This might surprise some of us. Uh, What's the opposite of humility, church? What would most people say? Pride, right? Pride. Do you find it interesting that the very first thing that he references as a display of of who we are and what we have received is humility? I find that striking because I meet very few people who would say that they're proud. (laughs) And yet Paul says, you know, the first thing that should be displayed in your life is humility. But it makes complete sense 
based upon what he has said, because of who we are and what we've received, that this would be the first thing that Paul would say, your life and my life puts out because of who we are and what we've received. And it makes complete sense because Paul has gone out of his way to say, what brought about your salvation? What brought about the change of your condition from death to life? What brought about your forgiveness of sins? What made you a son? What made you a daughter of God? The answer that Paul gives, the answer that God's word gives over and over again is the answer, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. It's God who adopted us. It's God who has chosen us. It's God who has saved us. It's God, he says, throughout these first three chapters who has done all the work. It is the gift of God. By When we look around and are redeemed in our new lives, our inheritance in Christ, church, is there anything that we can claim as having come from us? What's the answer? No. And so he says, if that is true, and it is, if we are a people who owe our very existence to God having created us and our salvation and redemption to God having done the work for us, then how can we claim any pride? How can we claim any ownership over these things? But see, here's where sometimes we think about humility as just simply being the opposite of, of pride, but, but I want to nuance it for a minute. You, you see, pride comes in these forms where it says, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I have done? Humility comes though and it says something totally different. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, I can't compare to you. You're so much better than me. That's a false humility. That's not really humility at all. C.S. Lewis, I think, says it best. Humility, it's thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself. It's, it's not making you be the center of the universe. I've defined humility that the Paul is talking about here is believing and acting as though you are not deserving of or owed anything by anyone. That's what humility is. It is believing and acting as though... You are not owed anything by anyone. It, see, pride comes and says, don't you know what I've done for you and what I deserve? I worked at this. I should get this. We are a people who everything that we have in our relationship with, with God was not of our own doing. And so... If we can't look to God and say, you deserve to give me this because of what I've done for you, that, Paul says, should translate on the relational level with one another. Do you guys uh, know the tightrope walker, Nick Wolanda? Have you ever heard about him? A few years ago, uh, he walked across Niagara Falls. I wanna show you a picture of him walking. Why would he do this? I don't understand it. But Nick walked across Niagara Falls. He's actually a believer. He's a Christian. Uh, when he did this, I think this was the one in 2012 or 2013, uh, it was viewed by over a billion people. Huge crowds were there just marveling at what he accomplished. But something happened after he got done walking across Niagara Falls. He knows that he's tempted to pride. He knows that he could look at the things that he's done and think that people owe him praise or owe him 
just any amount of things, even that he would, after doing a feat like that, deserved rest from the crowds and, and time away. Yet when he got done doing this, after the crowds left Niagara Falls, he went back that evening, and for three hours, he picked up trash left by the crowds. Let me tell you what he said about it. My purpose is simply to help clean up after myself. The huge crowd left a great deal of trash behind, and I felt compelled to pitch in. Besides, after the inordinate amount of attention I sought and received, I need to keep myself grounded. Three hours of cleaning up debris is good for my soul. Humility does not come naturally to me, so if I have to force myself into situations that are humbling, so be it. I know that I need to get down on my knees, my hands and knees like everyone else. I do it because it's a way of keeping me from tripping. As a follower of Jesus, I see him washing the feet of others. I do it because I don't serve others, because if I don't serve others, I'll be serving nothing but my ego. This is him saying, look, just because I walked across a rope, that doesn't mean that I can't go and pick up trash. In fact, I need to go and pick up trash. So I remind myself that I'm owed nothing. I deserve nothing because Jesus washed my feet. Why is humility such an integral part of displaying, outputting who we are and what we've received because of what Christ has done for us? Why should I make a sacrifice for you if you're not willing to do so for me? It's because Jesus Christ made a sacrifice for me and served me and humbled himself, as Philippians 2 says, to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we might have life. If I'm struggling with a relationship with others, if I think you owe me something or I deserve something from the world, it's because I've taken my eyes off the fact that everything that I have and received my very eternal life is contingent upon what others have done for me and nothing that I've done for myself. Can I get an amen to that? And then he moves on and he says, not only do we display humility, he says we do it with gentleness. Gentleness, it's the next character trait that he says is displayed by us. A lot of the older versions, maybe it's in your Bible, they refer to it as meekness. And meekness probably isn't the best word to use here. I think gentleness works because meekness for many people, it's misunderstood. It involves the idea of, of weakness, but that's not what gentleness is at all. In fact, I'm going to kind of surprise you a little bit with an understanding of gentleness, I think. Have you ever seen a, uh, like a five-year-old go and pick up a kitty cat? <laughs> Aww, it's, you're going to change all that in a minute. Um, this is a toddler. When you see a lumbering toddler, a kitty, walking over to a kitty cat. What do you say to them? Be gentle. Be gentle. Why do you say be gentle? It's because you know that that child has more power than that cat. And the misuse of that power could harm that cat. You don't say be gentle to somebody who does not have the power to harm or to hurt. You say be gentle because you know that power used in the wrong way can be hurtful and detrimental. And so you say be gentle because you know that they could use what they have to ultimately harm others. Are you tracking with me? So really what is Paul saying when he calls us to be gentle? Gentleness is using your power to build up and not tear down. 
And so when he says that we are a people who in our actions and our character traits, we're gentle, that is, we use our, our power to, to not tear down, but to build up. It's recognizing that you have the ability to break down, but you also have the ability to build up. One of the things that I have in my home that I think I'm just going to keep going with the illustrations here, all right, is a pressure washer. Have you ever used a pressure washer? A lot of power in a pressure washer. And, and, and so depending upon how you focus the power of the pressure washer depends, is it going to do a light cleaning or is it going to punch through the wall, right? <laughs> yeah, have you ever done that or not admitted it, right? It's got to start, oh, that, oh, turn that down, turn that down. We took the paint off. You see, gentleness is recognizing, is, is my behavior, is my speech, is it, is it like a pressure washer and I'm just shooting right through the skin and I'm piercing your soul and I'm being harsh? Or, or am I using what I have here in a way that's edifying and building up? Church, why would gentleness be a reflection and an output of what it is that we have received? Because our God, according to what we've already saw, we were under his wrath. And he, because of our sin, was right to use his power to destroy and condemn. But is that what he did? Instead, he used his power and he used his might to forgive us our sins. Praise God. Amen. And to this day, he still comes to us as a loving father and uses the might of the universe to instead empower and equip us for love and good deeds. This is who our God has been to us. Are you a person who has been shown abundant gentleness? Are you a person who has received power in such a way that it has built you up rather than tear you down? Paul is saying, well, then it makes complete sense that what's going to come out of you is the same thing, that the power that has been shown to you is not a power that tore you down, but instead built you up. And so what comes, so what comes out of us? Is it a life that seeks to build up or is it a harshness? Are we pressure washers just going around and push, 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 blowing holes through people? You know, I think about that picture of that kitty cat, Right? as well. You know, that might be a, you know, say to your, say to your spouse, remember, I'm just a kitty here. <laughs> or, you, you know, that's what it means to be gentle. And then he says this, and then he's like, yeah, are you feeling maybe, okay, can we just pause here just for a moment? Are we, are we feeling a little bit like, you know, maybe these, I could grow in some things here? Well, it gets even better. Here we go. He goes, <clears throat> this, we're to output Humility, gentleness, with patience. Oh, darn this one. <laughs> patience. The very word, the very word patience implies a level of discomfort. You all know that. The very word patience, at its root, patience means to be long-suffering, being able to bear up under provocation. 
Patience is something that only comes into play because something in and or around us is not going the way we would desire. It implies that we are having to endure something. And, and so what is patience? It's enduring suffering without sinning. When he talks about patience, he says it, this, this, this is going to be different than what comes next. It's enduring suffering. It, it's, it's coming under the weight of, of a discomfort in your life and not responding to it with, with sin. And listen, suffering, it takes many forms, but at its core, suffering is things not going in a way that blesses you. So when I talk about like what is suffering, we're talking about you experiencing things that are not a blessing to you, but the potential to cause you discomfort and to cause you pain. So why would this be patience and an output of, of our calling? The answer is so, so simple. How much has the Lord endured from you? Not me. I'm, I've been great. No. <laughs> How much has the Lord endured from all of us in our sin? The suffering that he endured was magnified and made in the flesh when Christ went to the cross and suffered for, for us. He endured what he endured so that you and I might be forgiven. And even to this day, he continues to endure because we don't walk perfectly yet as we should. The glorification is still to come. And yet as a loving father, he still endures and he still forgives us. How patient is the Lord with us? I've said this before, it bears repeating. We're going to say it again in a few weeks, but listen. <clears throat> there is nothing that someone or some people will do to you this side of heaven that will cause you to endure what Christ has not already endured for you. You know, there's this idea that we sometimes forget. It's not an idea, it's a reality. You know, Jesus in his resurrected body, when he stood before the disciples, he still carried what in his hands and in his feet and his side? The scars. For all eternity, Christ carries with him the marks of his crucifixion. This evidence of what he has endured for us. Would we not endure the same for others? But let's pause here. And let's not consider that being patient and gentle and humble, like these things don't always come easy. In fact, I'm reminded of this cute little story of a dad who went to the supermarket with his son. And his two-year-old son was, was Charlie, and he was, <clears throat> and he was going down the aisles. And, and uh, as they're going down the aisles, you know, you, you hear the dad saying to himself these words, you know, easy now, keep calm, keep calm, Donald, steady boy, it's, it's all right, it's all right, Donald. And a mother who was passing by was greatly impressed how the father was dealing with her, or the father's uh, son. And she goes up to the little boy and, and she says, wow, you know, you're, you're dealing with him so kindly and, and so, so gently. And so she looks at the little boy and, and she says to him, she says, Donald, what's, what's the problem? And he says, no, 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 no. The boy's name is Charlie. My name is Donald. 
What, what does that story tell us? This, this dad was having to speak to himself, to talk to himself, as his child was causing suffering for him. <laughs> because he knew that's what he, he needed. It's what we need. We need to preach this gospel to ourselves. We need to know who we are and what has been, been done for us. If we're gonna show humility, if we're gonna show gentleness, if we're gonna show patience, if we're going to, as he says here, bearing with one another in love, that's the last thing. If, if we're gonna do these things, we have to be a people who, who rightly understand what we have received and that what we put out is only because we have received more than we will ever give or have to display. And this last one, bearing with one another in love, it might seem like patience, but it has a very specific application of patience. Bearing with one another in love is this, lovingly enduring the differences and failings of other believers. Patience applies to everyone. Bearing with one another in love, Paul narrows to our relationship to other Christians who we think should know better to do than the things that they're ultimately doing. Because Paul knows that he's writing this letter to a group of people who are going to hear it together and they're going to be like, hey, you know, you heard his letter, gentleness, why aren't you being gentle, you know? Hey, you know, a humil little humility here. And, and, and so Paul's writing this, this next phrase to be like, hey, listen, when people aren't walking the way that you would want them to walk, when they're failing to, to live out who they are, how are you going to bear with them? How are you going to treat them? And he says, bear with them in love. Lovingly endure the, the differences and the failings of others. Sometimes people will fail you, and sometimes people just have preferences and ways of handling things that are different than your own, and sometimes not even sin. What do you do when somebody's personality is so different, when they process things differently than you? Do you come to them and you say, you should think the way I think? and everything would be good. And yes, that's true most of the time. No, I'm kidding. No, it's recognizing and saying, I can bear with you in love. Our differences and our failings of one another, what binds us together in this, what allows me to endure, what allows you to endure our differences and our failings is the love that has been shown for us. I love that the Greek word here that is translated for bear with one another, it almost literally means to put up with something annoying. So put up with annoying people in love. <laughs> and if you don't have any annoying people in your life, it's because that's you. <clears throat> but then we're here to bear with you in love. And you will never know it because we will have love. I, only, I, I joke there to lighten a little bit of the weight of this that these things are not easy. But church... Church, as we look at this, look at verse 3 here. Why is this all so important? He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's going back now and he's saying, don't you remember, Jews and Gentiles, we've become one in and through Jesus Christ. We have this bond with each other that is unlike any other. And so we display these things in the family of God and out into the world. But in the family of God, we display these things because don't you know, don't you know who we are? We're, we're bound to one another. There's a unity that exists within us. We should be eager to live these things out so that the full display of the glory of God might be manifest in the church. And then he says this. He says, in case you need more reason for this, I love what God does here. Right, right here at the very end of this verse, I'm gonna fly through this. He comes and he says, listen, 
you're like children. Sometimes you need to be explained why, why it's so important that your output matches what's been put into you. He says, because there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. You, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and, and in all. He's like, don't you, don't you see? We're, 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 we're one. We have, we have one faith, one Lord. We've all been saved the, the same way. We all share the same spirit. You are vastly closer and vastly more in common with the people in the church than anyone else in the entire world. Do you know that? And so why are we eager to maintain the unity and the bond of peace? It's because of, of this, this oneness that God has created. Not only has been input into you all of this blessing and salvation, but you have also been brought into this one faith and one baptism. And so we're a people that pursue unity. And we have the joy to get to live out and to walk in a manner worthy together. What a church looks like when people are walking in this way. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Humility and gentleness. But I'm gonna close with this church. There's two things, two things that are necessary for us if we're gonna walk this way. And the first is this. In order to pursue these qualities, in order to walk in this way, you have to renounce, you have to confess, you have to repent of our pride. You gotta confess and repent of our harshness, of our hate. If you don't think that you're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to, to leave the God I love in these areas, then, then you will never be able to, to put out. If you don't see yourself as someone who needs forgiveness, who needs grace, if you don't see someone who has received all of these things, then you can never put these things into to play. And so I'd ask you today, first and foremost, as you look at these qualities, if you're not seeing it manifested in your life in some way, go before the Lord. The first thing to do is to repent of it and to say, this hasn't been in my life, but it hasn't been in my life for a couple of reasons. And now I don't know what it is, but just listen to me as I say this. If you're not walking in a manner worthy, then either you have not received the grace of God in your life, you are failing to embrace what you have received, you are ignorant of what you have received, or you are living in direct disobedience. Like, if this isn't being manifested in your life, one of these things is taking place at any one given moment. But you know what? Glory be to God, all of these things can be remedied through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why Paul prays. I pray that you would grow in this. I pray that you would understand more deeply what you have. I pray that you would come to know Christ and to know his love because it's only when that happens that then we walk in these ways. But we walk in these ways again, not to make ourselves worthy of God, but because of all that has been pushed and poured into our lives through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us walk in a manner worthy. Let's pray. Father. So much of what has been said today, apart from everything that your word proclaims and the gospel that we have heard, could make it seem like we've been talking about law this morning. But we've not been talking about law because law is about doing those things in order to get you to accept us and ultimately, Lord, to believe that our 
conditional relationship with you is just that conditional one in truth Lord it's all of your grace and so I thank you today because of what you pour into our lives by your grace through faith both of which are the gift of God that you change us that you make us new that you forgive us that you make us holy so that now we can leave this morning with a knowledge of who we are and able to be a gentle people a humble people a patient people those who bear with one another in love and pursue unity, Lord, because of who you are and what you have done for us. And so, Lord, until Christ returns, may we encourage one another with these things and may your people be marked with these traits. For the praise and glory of your name, we ask in all God's people said, amen. Amen.